0: This is Pandemic Planet, the podcast where we talk about the urgent health security threats facing the world, the geopolitical and societal challenges they present, and how the United States can best lead health security efforts abroad while protecting Americans at home. Pandemic Planet is the podcast series of the CSIS Commission on Strengthening America's Health Security. While our sister podcast series, Coronavirus Crisis Update, focuses on what's happening in America... Here on Pandemic Planet, we'll look at the global and geopolitical effects of health security threats. Welcome to Pandemic Planet. Hello, and welcome to a new episode. I'm Catherine Bliss with the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. And it's a pleasure to meet today with Dr. Adiba Zaman former Dean of the Faculty of Medicine and Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases at the University of Malaya, Kuala Lumpur, and also President of the International AIDS Society. We are meeting in Montreal, Canada, where the 24th International AIDS Conference is convening in person for the first time since 2018, when it was held in Amsterdam. We'll be talking about the conference, which has historically been the largest gathering of global health policymakers, advocates, activists, and researchers focused on HIV and AIDS. We'll talk about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on research, advocacy, and the equitable provision of HIV services. And we'll also talk about prospects for financing global HIV and AIDS programs in the context of competition for funding for other global health priorities such as pandemic preparedness and response. Adiba, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Catherine. So congratulations on getting this first in-person conference underway after the 2020 conference in San Francisco and Oakland had to go completely virtual. I wanted to just ask you to start by you know, telling us a little bit, you know, what motivated you to take on this role as president of the IAS during this period? And, You know, the conference theme is is re-engagement, so I assume that means something to do with people coming back together. But, you know, what are your hopes for the conference and and this theme of re-engagement more broadly? Sure, sure. But before
1: I I answer your question directly, I'd like to point out that this conference is the first in-person as well as hybrid conference. That allows, I think, right now we have something like six thousand people who've been logging in on and off. On that, that number, of, you know, I, I need to double check, but it's still thousands of people able to join us online and in real time. So that, that's impressive. <laughs> that's a yes. It's been, you know, kudos to to the team for making this happen, and I I think it's it's. Been happening quite seamlessly. Um, I've not heard too many complaints. So, so that's um, yeah, we're, we're very proud of this. Um, what motivated me to become president of the International Aid Society? I've been involved with the IS for a number of years now. Um, I think my first uh, involvement was as a plenary speaker in Mexico City mm-hmm. back in two thousand and. Six two thousand and eight two thousand and eight. Sorry, yeah, I should know that. And then um, I was asked to be a scientific chair of the Vienna conference. And then when we took then then I took the conference to Kuala Lumpur and François Maurice Nussi was the president. And I hosted that science conference there. And I guess you know on and off through involvement with the conferences, I got elected on the governing council and. A few years ago, they said, hey, you know, someone said, Kay, hey, can we nominate you as president? So I've, I've been with the IS for a long time and very proud to be an IAS member and GC and now president. I think, you know, if I may say so myself, <laughs> I think we're doing a lot of good work. Of course, what most people see are the conferences, but we also run a lot of programs in between the conferences main missions to educate and to bring people together and, and to amplify the signs
0: around Asia. And so this theme of re-engagement, what are you getting at with that? You know,
1: when, when we were planning the conference, to be honest, we were not expecting this many people to, to be on site. And thankfully, the, the conference venue allows us to expand or, or, or reduce because there was so much uncertainty, right? We, we had no idea what COVID was going to do next. <laughs> but we also know that people couldn't wait to reconnect and re-engage. And the indications came when registrations opened that overwhelmingly more people wanted to be here on site than virtually, even even though we provide that online facilities. And true enough, I think visa problems notwithstanding, we have As many people here on site, in fact, we could have had more than virtually. So I think that's about the physical re-engagement. And then, of course, the re-engaging in the HIV response. As you've heard from the UNAIDS report, we're faltering and, and we need to get back on track. And most of us think who work in the HIV field, either as clinicians, researchers or community leaders, by necessity, Pivoted to, to COVID 19 because of the urgency and the enormity of the pandemic. But really, now I think that COVID 19, it's not going away, it's never going to go away. But it's time to refocus on this other pandemic, HIV. So, really bringing
0: people's attention back to, to the core issues. So, this meeting, you know, it's always an interesting mix of the researchers policymakers, you know, different from, from the men, I guess, that you hosted, the scientific yeah. one, you know, really brings in the, yeah. the activists and advocates as well. But, you know, when i talked to the people in the past, you know, they've said really the most exciting of, of the big international conferences are the ones that even where you've got that mix of people, there's some really exciting science and breakthroughs that are mm-hmm. that are being announced. From your perspective, what are you seeing as the most kind of important recent findings around HIV? prevention treatment with diagnosis and treatment you know that are being discussed here yeah. that people can take away sure sure and i think of course there's a lot of excitement
1: around the long acting injectables you know that the science is clear we have um, data 12-month data from both 083 and 084 uh, in terms of prevention among cisgender. And Those numbers are referring to the, the trials. HPTN trials okay. uh, mm-hmm. numbers and cool. real clear efficacy data for both clinical trials and safety data for trans women who are on hormones. And it's clear that chemotegravir injectables will not interfere with transgender women who are on hormones, for example, and that it's superior to oral PrEP, oral daily PrEP, to help overcome the problems of adherence, yeah? So I think there's a lot of excitement about this potential game-changer in the field of pre-exposure prophylaxis. Mm -hmm. And I think what this conference also showcases, like you said, it brings, you know, not just the scientists and clinicians, but... Many stakeholders, and it was announced at this conference that um, the work that has been going on behind the scenes between the manufacturers of caputtagravir, Viv, and the medicines patent pool, and the voluntary licensing to accelerate implementation of this, particularly in low and middle income countries, as soon as possible. FDA approved oral prep ten years ago, and we're seeing very slow uptake, and we can't afford to wait another ten years for. Injectable preps to get to people where it's needed most. So this partnership, not just between with Healthcare and Medicine Spit and Pool, to allow generic factors to produce this drug, but also a coalition of stakeholders, including Unitate and, and others, to help with that acceleration of implementation. Is is really exciting, which brings me again back to your to your original question. What what else is it about this conference apart from, say, the long acting injectables? I think, as Dr. Fauci has just very eloquently shared with us in in his plenary just then, you know, there there are big implementation gaps that despite us having the treatment, very effective antiretroviral treatment and very effective prevention tools, we still saw 1.5 million people getting infected last year and 650,000 people dying. So obviously, there are still huge gaps. And I think what this conference also brings, fantastic examples from around the world of effective programs, from PEPFAR-funded programs to National government funded programs that many of us can learn from. I had the privilege of attending a satellite session that WHO hosted on integrating services, and this was about integrating HIV and viral hepatitis services and case studies from Rwanda, which is well on its way to eliminating hepatitis C. Hepatitis C, with the support of the Clinton Foundation and others, and there was also a super inspiring presentation because this is my own area of interest of antiretroviral as well as substance use treatment scale up in prisons in Ukraine. You know, tens of thousands of people getting onto treatment with the partnership of the Ministry of Justice in Ukraine. And I think this is what is special about this conference. You know, you you otherwise would not know what, what people are doing from around the world that not only inspire, but are models of delivery services that others can emulate. And then I think the third message that's coming out loud and clear is, of course, the U equals U, undetectable, equals untransmissible. The, the protest was rather noisy, but I think it's needed. Again, you know that the science around U equals U has been around for a few years now. It's crucial for, for for several reasons. One is of course that you know we must do more to make sure that those effective pills get to people so they can live longer, you know, live a healthy longer life. And then of course that as it gets to undetectable levels, you don't transmit it to others. So just for our for our listeners, the U equals U is undetectable equals untransmissible. So for individuals who are living with hiv for public health reasons that you need to get treatment into people and then of course together all this i think is going to be really important to reduce that stigma, stigma that's associated, associated with people living with hiv
0: i think all of this come together to help promote that so i want to focus on the covid impacts mm. on hiv Research and services. You mentioned the focus on within a number of different sessions. You know, on the gap that has emerged in terms of number of infections over the past year, more than than certainly we would have hoped to see. Um, and as far as the global goals, I'm assuming that over the course of the pandemic, like most of us, you were. More or less at home, engaged by Zoom with, with the rest of the world, but you know, very much focused in Malaysia on COVID. Absolutely,
1: yeah. I, I happen to chair my hospital's COVID task force, and and we
0: virtually turned into a hundred percent COVID hospital. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a case in point where mm-hmm. much of your knowledge and and work was really focused yeah. on COVID, but. How really have you seen that diversion of services or did you see a diversion of services sure. for people living with HIV during that period? Um, as we move into an ever new phase of, of the COVID pandemic, what are your concerns or what are you thinking as, as you look at the case of Malaysia, you know, as, mm-hmm. as we see, you know, the need to continue to support COVID work while also covering those gaps in, in HIV services? Particularly in the early stages, obviously, you
1: know, attention and, and everything else um, shifted completely to COVID nineteen. But there was always an understanding that we cannot, must not neglect patients with other diseases, HIV, cancer, etc. So, if there was, is a silver lining with uh, COVID nineteen, is it forces to think more creatively, putting in telemedicine, ensuring that delivery of Antiretroviral therapy and you know clean needles and syringes continue to happen. Either hospitals would will, will post treatment and multi-month dispensing. You know, plenty of examples around the world of how that happened, uh, which which I think will continue. There's no need to bring patients in every month just to collect their medications, for example, and how communities also community leadership in terms of ensuring continuation of not just ARvs but all the and prevention tools so I think without a doubt and there's there there's plenty of evidence for that that services were disrupted shifts in tension to to covid but also within that I think the resilience of of communities ensured that you know the disruption wasn't as bad as it could have been I Recently, reviewed you know, sort of a few of these studies, and I think when you compare the disruption from COVID 19 compared to disruption to T disruption for HIV services compared to TB services, actually, TB services, the mortality associated with COVID disruption around TB was much higher, and one can speculate that. Because the HIV response has been more organized when it comes to community organizations, that the community, I suppose, in a way, more ready to take the lead. You know, because in rural Africa, communities have been leading, you know, the HIV response in testing and delivery of services for many years now. A silver lining from COVID is um, many people have become more familiar with self testing. WHO issued a guideline on HIV self-testing back in 2019, but the scale-up hasn't been tremendous. The lessons learned from self-testing with COVID, not not just for healthcare providers, but also the public, I think, have become more comfortable with self-testing. And also the use of digital tools, whether it's for educational purposes or or linkage to care or or even follow up and telemedicine. So, yes, COVID 19 was horrible and impacted in so, so many ways. But within that, I think there are a lot of lessons that we, we can take away from it that, in fact, there are many things we shouldn't go back to the old ways. Some of
0: the great examples that came about from
1: by necessity,
0: the good things we should continue. I mean, so listening to you talk, it sounds like you know between the advent of the long-acting injectables, it sounds like people can maybe go for two months mm-hmm. without having to go back to the clinic okay. for PrEP. Mm-hmm. Then the greater uptake, it had been in the guidance for a long time, mm-hmm. but the greater uptake of multi-month dispensing, mm-hmm. the greater uptake of community-based dispensing, and now the new report and greater uptake of self-testing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like a lot has really happened to almost mm-hmm. decentralize yes. or at least separate, to some extent, the response to HIV mm-hmm. mean, from the, the clinic itself, that they yes. can take a lot of mm-hmm. things on themselves. What, as we think about some of these developments, both on the research side and just on the community engagement side, The Global Fund Replenishment is coming up in September, and uh, there's a funding replenishment associated with that. We know that the World Bank, board just at the end of June, approved this new financial intermediary fund for pandemic preparedness and response. So as you look at all these exciting things on the one hand with the potential to really be game changers around HIV... And then, I guess, the competition, if you yeah. will, for yeah. funding for HIV and AIDS programs. What are your concerns? I mean, where do you... Move? Yeah, yeah. And of course, there are concerns,
1: right? And it, it's not just COVID-19 that has taken the attention away from, from HIV, the funding away from HIV, but it's also everything else that's happening around the world, the war, the economic crisis, et cetera, exactly. as it security, climate mm-hmm. change, et cetera. I think this is one of the reasons why these AIDS conferences need to continue. We need to bring the attention back to HIV because the tremendous progress that we've made in the last five to 10 years and the huge investments that PEPFAR, the Global Fund and others countries have put into the AIDS response, it would be a shame to see if we backtrack, right? We've made this amazing, amazing progress and the money is there i'm pretty sure the money is there it's where governments particularly for rich governments where they choose to put it right and so i think um, it's without a doubt you know health must come first because we've seen that when we ignore the health aspects with covid-19 that you are going to backslide in the economy as well you know at the beginning of the Covid nineteen pandemic. If you recall, there were all these debates about: is it the economy or is it Covid nineteen? Do we close or do we open? You know, there's no such thing, right? You have to do both. And and in the case of diseases, we need to continue to ensure that we don't have another pandemic, and we need to invest in eliminating HIV, TB, and malaria, and every other disease. Because if we don't, it's also about the next. You know, the young generation who are, we know, getting more at risk from HIV and that has implications in terms of the next generation of people, if they continue to get infected,
0: you know, especially young women and girls in in Africa, for instance. Well, and so many have been out of school now for a couple of years and experienced mental Mental health health, challenges associated with pain you know, under lockdown and and just, you know, the societal conflict and uncertainty Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. the masking and everything else. I guess we're about a little over halfway through the conference at Mm -hmm. this point. As you look toward the end of the conference and as people start to wrap up their their panels and their participation and head back to their laboratories or their NGO offices or, or wherever they undertake their work, what are kind of the top messages around re-engagement and around collaboration that, that you hope people will take away and, and really carry with them over the next two years until the next
1: conference. First of all, I hope that the conference has achieved its one of its main aims to rejuvenate and re-inspire people. I think this is the magical thing about AIDS conferences. I personally have felt more rejuvenated, re-inspired, just meeting individuals who have overcome so many constraints in their lives. And yesterday, I had the opportunity to meet two young men from Africa, From one from Uganda, the other from Nigeria, who were both born with, with HIV. They're now in their 20s and are part of the IS youth leadership. And, you know, listening to their stories, how they've overcome everything that life brought to them having siblings who are living with hiv and they've risen above all that and the one from nigeria is leading a youth group so that other young people in nigeria wouldn't suffer like him and the young man from uganda is now a doctor and and also doing the same i mean i'm I'm still inspired by that story and i think the aids conferences have that magic to do that to to remind us why we're all here doing this work. So I hope that's my main hope because it's easy to kind of burn out and all these years and get fatigued. And the ability to meet face-to-face again, I've I've heard it from so many people, that re-engagement with others, with collaborators, that gives you the ability to kind of really get down to business, if, if you like. It's almost... Impossible with Zoom, right? And of course, thirdly, to meet new people and, and potential
0: collaborators in this space. So really, to connect to the humanity, Absolutely. our shared humanity, Absolutely. in terms of the experience of, of HIV and AIDS, mm-hmm. but you know, also to find new collaborations yeah. and new ways to address this from different angles. Processes.
1: Yeah, not not just sort of from geographic connections, but also interdisciplinary. You know, engagement between scientists, uh, between biomedical scientists and, or basic scientists in clinical science and behavioral science, for example. You know, we were discussing yesterday with some social scientists around mental health, for instance. I think that's what, what is special about the AIDS conferences and the ABCDEF tracks that we have <laughs> that most other science conference uh, only
0: stick to kind of the basic sciences in the clinical and epi work. Well, Adiba Kamawulzaman, IAS President and Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases, congratulations on convening this conference for its 24th time and for really getting us re-engaged both in person and online with such a large audience. Thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy conference schedule to meet with me. Thank you, you, Catherine, for giving me the opportunity. Thank Thank you. you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify.